The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri, a Beverly Hills-based psychologist, certified sex therapist, and the founder of Modern Intimacy. Thanks for joining me here where I talk about sex, relationships, mental health, and dive into your questions with practical answers and real solutions. Each week, I share insights aimed at helping you build an authentic and healthy relationship with yourself, with others, and with your sexuality. It's time to get naked, emotionally, mentally, and on your own time, physically. Welcome back to the Get Naked with Dr. Kate podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri, a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, and the founder of Modern Intimacy. And one of the things that comes up in our practice so frequently is infidelity. It's probably a topic that brings with it the most questions, the most uh, befuddlement, the most confusion, and some of the biggest hurts that that we work with as a team. So today on the podcast, I've got a really incredible guest, Hope Ray, uh, to come and talk with us about betrayal trauma and betrayal violence. Hope Ray is a therapist, a theoretician, and the pioneer of complex partner trauma, a complete framework that pinpoints the endangerment betrayed partners face when their significant others use abusive deception to hide fidelity violating behavior. In 2023, Hope established the Betrayal Violence Institute, an interdisciplinary network that provides definitions and education for mental health clinicians, coaches, medical and legal professionals, faith-based and community organizations, and general society to better understand the conduct and impact of secret infidelity in intimate relationships. Hope is the creator of the Complex Partner Trauma Magazine, a publication for betrayed women, and the host of Women Who Discover, a private podcast about infidelity betrayal available on her website, along with other programs and resources. For over a decade, I've been following Hope's work, and Hope has walked alongside betrayed partners and couples in her intensive-based practice in Michigan. Hope is married and the mother of two. She's also a foodie and a piano songwriter and a bird lover. So Hope, thanks so much for being here with me today. I'm so excited to dive into this really difficult conversation with you. Me too. Kate, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to our time together and illuminating this subject. Yeah, so let's talk about what got you started in working with the, the construct of betrayal. How did you get here? Well, as far as uh, my 
journey toward wanting to get things more clearly defined and to help you know the greater field of psychology understand this problem i look back to about 15 years ago when i was in the throes of my own experience here and recognizing uh, that there's been a lot of advancements uh, in psychology, in the helping profession, mental health realm. Also, you know, even amongst community centers, uh, cler clerical, clergy type of people have become more aware of infidelity uh, and, and the type of betrayal that it causes. The term betrayal trauma is something that is a little bit more of a household term these days. So I found that to be all really helpful, but uh, over the years I've paid attention to the gaps. And so what I've recently published is about a decade's worth of, of my cataloging and research to figure out what it is, how do we respond to this gap and how can we fill it in with language that's going to really take us as a field to the next level. So let's talk about how you've reframed the paradigm of infidelity as betrayal violence. What was the purpose in your mind of shifting that language around and really creating a different kind of, uh, I guess, model for thinking about infidelity? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's really been a craving for a long time to have language that synergizes both the problematic sexual secrets in tandem with the abuse of subterfuge that, you know, happens when somebody's keeping a secret life from their partner. And so in order to talk about this issue properly, we need to see the whole picture. Uh, I think it's true that, um, you know, traditional models of power and control don't really extrapolate on some of the, the sexual betrayal aspects that mm -hmm. somebody who's been wounded by that deal with. Uh, and furthermore, healthy sexuality treatment models don't always account for the, you know, abuse of stratagem that is a part of all of this. So we've been needing language and even just vocabulary that allows us to see this whole picture uh, for what it is. When somebody has been betrayed by their partner uh, and they have been a victim of betrayal violence, that means that their partner has done three things. They've maintained a relationship with their partner while secretly and repeatedly violated fidelity. And then thirdly, they've used abusive behavior and communication to avoid the consequences, keep that information from their partner. And over time, what we have is a power differential. There's a, a huge deference of knowledge that one partner holds over the other. And that means that the partner who doesn't know what's going on is really debilitated in their ability to accurately assess their own well-being, their own safety in the relationship, even their own reality in the mm -hmm. relational sphere. So uh, it is abusive. However, uh, when we look at you know domestic violence literature, often it's not really extrapolated the intent uh, behind somebody who uses or abuses power and control. There certainly is those abusers who are doing so to establish dominion over their partner, to dominate, to create dependency, to cut their partner off from resources and isolate their partner. But the type of power differential that we see in betrayal violence is still 
violence in the sense that it is a it, it causes extreme detriment to the person who's victimized by it. But the use of power and control is done much more evasively. It's done in order to avoid consequences, to keep information from the partner, oftentimes uh, with the intent to not harm the partner. Doesn't mean it's noble, just means that very often somebody who is being abusive in this way is not intending to produce such harmful outcomes. In fact, they're, they're looking to do the opposite, but in the most maladaptive way. And uh, it renders tremendous trauma, usually for the partner, once that information begins to come to light. Yeah, I, I work with so many folks, I know you do too, who kind of come into relationships with an expectation of fidelity and monogamy, but a lot of couples aren't really clear on what that means. So I find that in some of the, the murkiness or the gray areas about what their fidelity agreements can be, there is a lot of this behavior that I love how you say it's not really that noble, um, that looks like white lies and omissions and keeping these parts of their behavior um, a secret from their partner. So on some level, they know their partner might not like it, but creating clarity in the context of their agreement might actually bring to light something that's hard or uncomfortable. Or maybe there are really clear fidelity agreements and a partner's not interested in maintaining those for various reasons. So what you're saying is that this is a form of emotional abuse and, and therefore intimate partner violence because not being clear and, and not uh, being transparent with a partner negates that partner's ability to act from a place of agency in the relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. And the type of deception and, you know, persuasion or thought and mind control uh, and even exploitation of the partner's trust, the partner's uh, mental load, the partner's labor, those types of abusive behaviors and communication are maybe more subtle looking than say the overt versions of maybe physical or verbal aggression that's found in intimate partner violence. So betrayal violence could be situated right alongside intimate partner violence under the umbrella essentially of the type of uh, abuse that occurs within an intimate partnership. Now, do you consider all infidelity versions of betrayal violence or just some kinds of infidelity? That's a great question. So cheating in and of itself is painful for the partner, uh, potentially harms the relationship or dissolves it altogether, and it can be traumatic. Mm -hmm. But cheating in and of itself isn't violence. The violence in betrayal violence comes from the way in which somebody choreographs their behavior uh, to keep this information from their partner, oftentimes using you know all sorts of overt deception, um, crazy making, gaslighting, persuasion, the type of stuff that cult leaders do, you know, to try and get somebody to disbelieve their internal and external experience. Uh, and meanwhile, these people might be relatively congenial, uh, you know, good at heart, uh, but in an evasive manner, they're working to keep their secret life hidden and therefore eliminating the opportunity for the partner to have full consent, full knowledge, uh, equity 
right? As, as far as what they know about their partner and what their partner knows about him or herself. So it's a really challenging situation for someone who's, uh, you know, producing these kinds of behaviors because they begin to snowball. And that's where we look at, you know, this ultimately becomes abusive, even if it weren't intended, but somebody's so far down the pike with so many lies that they just continue to perpetuate that kind of behavior until they rehabilitate it. Mm. So there's no real specific measure of severity, right, of cheating or betrayal. But if we break down betrayal violence into different parts, I'm sort of seeing that there's a lot of lying or obfuscating of information, uh, denying any whiffs that a partner might have of fidelity, um, breaching behavior, uh, a lot of gaslighting is what I'm hearing, uh, keeping secrets, um, withholding of communication, or um, engaging in non-aggressive physical behavior that's designed to kind of keep the partner guessing. Am I hearing all of that right? Yeah, let's focus on what you said about the non-aggressive. So when somebody becomes uh, verbally aggressive or mm-hmm. insulting, when somebody you know begins to be uh, physically assaultive and move into that type of dangerous power and control, you know, that's more indicative of intimate partner violence, wherein mm-hmm. there's an attempt to use power and control to subdue and dominate over the partner. The type of power and control that we see in betrayal violence really has more to do with avoiding consequences. The idea that I can't let my secrets be known, it will hurt my partner, my partner will leave me, or perhaps there's more of an entitled sense of, I just want my life to stay the same. I want to essentially have my cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to compartmentalize what I do on the side uh, and just keep life as normal as possible. But it's the manipulation of the environment. In other words, trying to keep your partner's environment as, as simple, normal, safe seeming as they would need it to be in order for them to continue attachment investing and contributing to the relationship as if all is normal and well. To be able to create that kind of environment, there's a lot of information that has to be withheld, lied about, um, or when information does turn up, there has to be a lot of, yeah, navigating, maneuvering around it uh, in order to try and get the partner to essentially calm down, disbelieve what it is that they feel in their gut hunches. And uh, this is really, really traumatic for somebody. You know, a lot of times people say, the betrayal, the the cheating, the infidelity was really painful, but it's the lies that caused all of these layers of confusion and self-doubt. And and that's what really takes partners uh, down the road of trauma. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we've heard about narcissistic behavior and narcissistic abuse. We've heard a lot about gaslighting, but what's the difference between how this shows up in kind of the, the sphere of narcissistic abuse versus betrayal violence? What are the, the differences? So betrayal violence is a specific way to articulate three modes of conduct that occur all at once. 
I okay. just to refresh, that's, you know, maintaining a relationship with your partner that's structured for monogamy while secretly, repeatedly violating fidelity. And then thirdly, using this abusive behavior in communication, deception, gaslighting, etc., to avoid the consequences, keep your partner in the dark. When we look at that conduct, you can see that there's really no singular diagnosis that's the prototype for this type of person. Now, mm -hmm. plenty of people who do this may also have narcissism on board, might have childhood trauma, might have neurodivergence, uh, might have uh, addiction issues. Uh, there's, there's really a plethora uh, from which to draw, many corridors through which somebody can enter into this behavior. And the idea is I wanted to find the most non-pathologizing way to really articulate what it is that's going on, because what's going on here is violence. It's not okay, uh, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what the person's diagnosis might be. They might need treatment for additional pieces, but what they also need if they're doing betrayal violence behaviors is they need rehabilitation for that abusive conduct, because it's not enough for them to simply stop cheating, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't fix or resolve the relationship it doesn't dissolve the power differential if if there's going to be true equity again in the relationship what's required is that that power differential is dissolved by the person who created it they lay down their ability to use power and control they give important pertinent essential information to their partner and rehabilitate essentially the entitlement and the regression and the other maladaptive character traits that have caused them to think it's okay for me to look my partner straight in the eye and and love and care for them but also lie to them about these essential pieces of their reality mm -hmm. now in, in your model you have an acronym called dire which breaks down different maladaptive character traits uh, detachment, incongruence, regression, and entitlement. Can you walk us through some of those uh, traits and how they show up in be in betrayal violence? Yeah. So just as I said, you know, there's no singular diagnosis that would mean somebody who has that diagnosis is going to go and do betrayal violence. Uh, what we find more so is that there's four character traits that people who enact this type of behavior against their partner have undergirding that behavior. You can't compartmentalize away uh, your life and live in the shadows and then um, kind of illuminate the good parts of yourself to your partner while secretly having, you know, a whole separate duplicitous space that you operate in. You can't do those things without having detachment, uh, the ability to really compartmentalize, to sequester away aspects of yourself, even to detach from your own values, perhaps uh, move into spaces that uh, might be more compulsive even or addictive at times. The other thing is uh, incongruence, which which is the I in dire, is the second maladaptive character trait that I see often uh, undergirding this behavior. Incongruence is the idea that um, I am not the same person in front of people that I am behind closed doors. And this has many facets. We could really talk a long time about this, but essentially it's it's the ability to, uh, to not have genuine um, self-unity uh, and to be able to kind of placate or demonstrate what you want people to know or think of you uh, to manage perceptions, manage outcomes. 
Uh, then there's regression, and regression is everything from moving, uh, operating at a at a maturity state that's lower than you know your actual age emotionally with labor around the house, uh, the ability to not take responsibility or to slough off responsibility to scapegoat uh, or you know blame shift. Uh, so regression is another maladaptive character trait that that seems to be pretty consistent. And then the last one is entitlement. And entitlement is bewildering for partners when they experience this because they automatically think narcissism. They think he's entitled or my partner's entitled to, uh, you know, just go out and either, you know, let's say it's viewing pornography that feels like the infidelity in the relationship, just thinks that that's, you know, something that, uh, my partner has the right to uh, has the right to manage my perception of the behavior. At the end of the day, entitlement is deeper than just doing things you might want to be doing in the moment. It's it's a sense of of incongruity with with your own rights and your partner's. And so this is also where we see uh, you know abusive behavior and communication enabled with this entitlement. So you have detachment, incongruence, regression, entitlement, and these four maladaptive character traits don't have to necessarily be stable, even if there is, you know, a personality disorder on board. Uh, these character traits often come from somewhere, maybe childhood trauma, maybe the type of modeling that they experience, maybe cultural frameworks or normalizations of certain things. At the end of the day, these things can be addressed, and I call it inversed. Uh, when somebody would take these maladaptive character traits and look to build skills in the opposite manner. So, for instance, with detachment, you're going to want to see skills around intimacy, mm -hmm. the ability to stay connected to the partner, the ability to maintain and sustain intimacy. Even in detachment, it's not impossible that there can be intimacy, but for that to remain consistent is yeah. something that need to be developed. <laughs> And by intimacy in this context, you're not talking about sexual intimacy. You're talking about authenticity, right? You're talking about showing up and letting yourself be seen and be witnessed as your whole self, not just the shiny parts that you want someone to perceive. Right. The ability to have vulnerability, to even know and be able to introspect around what it is that you're thinking, feeling, knowing. Uh, and being able to share that or, or allow your partner to share in that, that would be that type of intimacy yes. that kind of acts as the antidote to detachment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's also, you know, honesty to combat incongruence. There's integrity to combat regression. Uh, and then there's empathy that combats the entitlement piece. And again, these are, these are kind of full-fledged areas of important development and skill building. Uh, but, you know, when we, when we talk about can these people change, they can, so long as they're addressing mm -hmm. these issues. Like I said, it's not enough to just stop the, the infidelity behavior. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. 
With so many in-season ingredients, you'll taste all the freshness of fall in every bite of HelloFresh's chef-crafted recipes. Produce travels from the farm to your door for peak ripeness you can taste. HelloFresh does all the shopping and meal planning for you. Ingredients arrive at your doorstep pre-portioned and ready to cook, along with pictured step-by-step recipe cards. How easy is that? Even though the fall can feel jam-packed, HelloFresh makes whipping up a home-cooked dinner actually doable with quick and easy options, including their 15-minute meals. That's less time than it takes to get delivery. And with everything pre-portioned and delivered right to your door every week, it's really a no-brainer. Turn to HelloFresh Market for yummy add-ons and enjoy the season's limited-time fall flavors line appetizers like barbecue pulled pork nachos. And don't forget the mini pumpkin cheesecake, perfect for a me-time treat. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50GetNaked and use code 50GetNaked for 50% off plus free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash 50GetNaked and use code 50GetNaked for 50% off plus free shipping on American's number one meal kit. I've worked with many betrayed partners who don't necessarily have the vocabulary to understand uh, what exactly is going on in the complexities of the pain that they're feeling. And I think this model really speaks to that because the kind of trauma that sometimes partners exhibit doesn't always make sense to them, right? They'll say things like, I don't understand why I am so upended in my life. Like, yes, this is hard, but I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't function. And so I really love the reframing of infidelity in this way because I do think it, 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 it exposes the level of violence felt to one's sense of safety when the person that you're partnered with has exhibited all of these behaviors and all of these um, manifestations within the relationship that feel completely different than the reality you thought was intact. But I imagine that a lot of people providers included, have a really strong reaction to your use of the word violence in this model. So can you speak a little bit to why it feels so important to hold this definition as one that consists of violence? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right about that. So the the people that feel uncomfortable with this are have every right to and are welcome to feel that way. What I believe is important is that society in general begins to have a more thorough and in-depth understanding of the word violence. When we look at what violence actually is, it doesn't necessarily include black eyes and bruises. And if we're looking for it to just mean that, then we're negating several aspects of violent outcomes that are occurring all around us. The other thing is that to be violent, you don't have to intend to be violent. The intention is in the use of the power and control. It is not, the violence is not a reflection of the outcome, meaning if somebody never wanted to hurt their partner, never wanted to uh, cause harm, that doesn't mean it wasn't violence. 
violence is defined by the detriment, the psychological maldevelopment type of harm, uh, the deprivation of rights that occurs when somebody has uh, some sort of power and control used against them. So ultimately, it doesn't matter if somebody was trying to protect their partner from knowing these things uh, or to keep them in the dark so that they wouldn't have to be traumatized. At the end of the day, it's the intention to use that power and control to manage their reality that is an act of violence. No matter how much they love their partner, no matter how far from their actual heart this type of behavior is, if it's happening, the outcome is violence. So when people have strong reactions to that word, I really see it as indicative of, of our kind of um, uh, simple understanding still of violence and thinking of, you know, domestic violence pull tab posters on the back of bathroom stalls where there's pictures of, you know, people cowering with black eyes and bruises and someone standing over them yelling and, and raging at them. When we continue to see violence as only that, uh, we will keep missing those that are experiencing violence in other ways uh, by other uses, other forms of control and power. Yeah. I appreciate that, that framing of it. And I know when you and I first spoke about your model, one of the things that I expressed to you was my gratitude for your reframing of this, because I think that what it also does is it moves, it moves the focus of attention and the focus of responsibility back onto the person who's breaching fidelity. And while I think that a betrayal trauma model is really beneficial and necessary, when we only phrase this as betrayal trauma, we do put a lot of the burden of rehabilitation on the victim of that experience. And is it their task to heal? Yes, of course. But it also doesn't really provide a lot of framing that there is a rehabilitation piece on the side of the person who has breached the fidelity agreements that that does really like hold responsibility and accountability in that partner. And I think that's a really important piece to look at here as well. There are many people who will engage in, in fidelity breaches and they're not bad people or poor intended and their behavior is still really hurtful to their partner. So I think it's important that we keep the onus of that behavior with them and really support the people who have experienced this kind of trauma by placing the accountability back in, in the hands of their partner instead of all on their shoulders to navigate. I love that. You put that so beautifully. And I remember when you shared that with me, Kate, I appreciated so much how you saw right into that space. You got it immediately. And I believe that the, the mental health realm was going to catch on and understand this too. But, you know, we needed to do two things. And that was my mission over the past mm -hmm. 10 years was to depathologize the behavior and identify the conduct so that we can talk about it practically. We can talk mm -hmm. about it with an educated understanding. And we can also understand then what is needed in order to solve that problem. So when we look at betrayal violence as a conduct 
uh, a set of three essential behaviors that are co-occurring, then what we can do is we can say it doesn't matter the diagnosis. If, three, if these three things are occurring, then we have betrayal violence conduct. And then we can also uh, just be sure to understand that this is, this is not about uh, telling the partner who's been victimized in this way uh, that, you know, you have all this trauma that's kind of centered around that person. Really what it's saying is here's the experience, the conduct that you've experienced. Now let's look at the ramifications in your life, which I call complex partner trauma. And so I appreciate that so much about how you read right into that space. That's essentially why this language and vocabulary is needed in order to synergize, synergize many kind of fields approaches to this mm -hmm. one subject. Yeah. And to reduce victim blaming that can sometimes be uh, systemically embedded in, in some of the ways that any field or industry might try and treat survivors of violence. Absolutely. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, spent years with many clients who found that at the end of the day, there were certain models that were relatively helpful in one area. Um, that was to help their partner stop doing the, the sexual secret stuff, whatever it was, or to get straight mm -hmm. about their values and, and, you know, become truthful and honest about their needs in the relationship. At the end of the day, though, uh, it is really important that all of this work puts the onus and responsibility back on the person who needs to dissolve the power differential they've created. That isn't the work of the victim. And that isn't uh, where we want to go with this. We want to stop that victim blaming that says things like, how could you have not known? Or why would you stay with someone like this? There's so many reasons. There are so many barriers people face when they are in this situation. Mm -hmm. uh, and it becomes difficult to assess whether it's safer or more painful to stay versus to go. And so, you know, there's just a lot more to be conscientious of. Uh, and using the word violence, uh, not only is it accurate, but it allows us to see this as a significant issue. It's not just a matter of someone has poor character and they cheat and their partner decides to stay right. with them. Right. Well, the, the victims of this kind of betrayal go through complex partner trauma often. What are some of the stages um, of, of symptom presentation or reaction that you have observed? Sure. Well, one of the first things I'd like to mention is that this framework provides a lot of clarity for folks, but along with that comes some pain. When things are articulated clear enough and we can see plain as day what it is that we've been enduring, it becomes really painful to consider that that's been our experience. And it's loaded with this guilt trip often that I've allowed myself to tolerate that. And I just want to speak to those who may be feeling that as we're talking through this, that uh, it's okay for this to kind of feel, you know, like a splash of cold water. And you want to take care of yourself in that. But the more understanding that you have here, the more empowered you are to be able to navigate your needs as you heal from this, whether you're staying with your partner or not. Yeah. So complex partner trauma has four phases. Essentially, this is kind of the breakdown that a, a person who is experiencing endangerment um, by betrayal violence will go through. So the first phase is endangerment. This is where the person doesn't know what's going on. They may have some low-grade understanding of unfaithful fidelity type of violations, but at the end of the day, they have really no idea 
the level of endangerment, in other words, the depth and the breadth of uh, the extent to which their partner is going to shield them from the reality of their own secret behavior. Endangerment gives way to the second phase, which is called endangerment awareness, and this can last for years, uh, just like the first phase can, where slowly over time, information begins to leak out or evidence begins to surface. And the person who's experiencing complex partner trauma becomes aware of new sensations, a, a loss of trust, uh, feelings of being unstable uh, within the relationship, not sure what to do or how to react or if they're overreacting. Endangerment awareness really gives way to um, the trauma that's already been building and, and kind of releases it into their sphere, their periphery, uh, where they're a little bit more cognizant of the fact that they are not as safe as they want to be in the relationship. The third phase then is reality collapse. And this is where somebody has enough information, uh, sufficient information to be able to really understand the depth and the breadth, mm -hmm. the extent to which their partner has gone to keep them in the dark. They may not know everything, but they know enough to say, this is bad. In fact, it might even be worse than I thought. And reality collapse is when kind of all that pain and trauma, all that distrust, hypervigilance, all of that culminates into a sensation that, you know, the sky isn't even blue like I thought it was. The rug is pulled out from under me. And many people who've gone through reality collapse will describe physical sensations that kind of, you know, demonstrate this, a, sen a sense of their heart literally breaking in half or their brain cracking down the middle and stop. It it's like it stops working. Mm -hmm. um, fog descending. Reality collapse is really painful, but the good news about it is that when somebody enters into that place, they really are well positioned to begin healing, uh, whether that means staying or detaching from the person who's caused this pain, they have an understanding of what kind of ride they've been taken for. And even again, if they don't know all the betrayals, they still know enough to understand the measures uh, that are going to be required in order for them to feel safe, safe to engage in sex, safe to continue cohabitating with the person, uh, safe to share emotionally and vulnerably with the person. Uh, this reality collapse really informs somebody's ability to have boundaries and understand their needs and seek the type of healing they're going to need. The fourth stage then is reality acclimation. And this is where we, you know, go through what I call reflexive calibration. And what we're doing is we're retroactively uh, kind of processing everything that we now know according to our old memories. So we get very triggered in this stage. Throughout all the stages, there's triggering. But there's a sense of, I'm looking back over my life, over all of my memories, all of my intimate moments with this person, and I'm seeing them now differently for what they were, mm -hmm. which is really painful, but a huge part of the healing. Yeah. Well, thank you for going over this outline and this framework. Can you tell us a little bit about your upcoming programs and your magazine, Complex Partner Trauma Magazine on Amazon? 
Sure. Thank you. Complex Partner Trauma Magazine by Hope Ray is available on Amazon. And this is a magazine that I dedicated to women who are going through this kind of a situation uh, who are partnered or married to men. And we're starting there just to help uh, many, many people who are struggling in the throes of betrayal violence, trying to understand what it is that needs to change in order for there to be healing uh, of both the individuals, but also the relationship if possible. So you can get that on Amazon. Uh, uh, Betrayal Violence 101 is a really helpful workshop that you can uh, get online at, at my website, hopebray.com. Uh, this one is for men who are partnered or married to women. And this is kind of the, the download of what it is that is going on. Uh, in the title, we talk about how you know you, you want to stop the abuse you never really wanted to cause. You want to stop the harm you never really intended. Uh, and that's kind of uh, indicative of the idea that many people who who are finding themselves in this type of conduct really do want to figure out what it is they can do to change and preserve the best odds of, of healing their relationship. So that's a, a program that's for people who are serious and willing to do what it takes there. That's amazing. So where can people find more about your work and, and maybe even how to work with you? Sure. Uh, well, hopebray.com is my website. Uh, the magazine is available through that or through Amazon. I do have a private podcast that you can access on my website. Uh, I love TikTok. I'm spending more time over there than, than Instagram and Facebook these days, but I am on, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube as well. At Hope Ray Therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you again for for coming on the show today and providing this education. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Get Naked with Dr. Kate. It means so much to me that you're here. Collectively, we heal when we join in community. So if this episode has helped you, uh, please forward it to someone else who it might help or who might enjoy it. And if you feel inclined, leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast channel to help this podcast reach more people. And as always, if you or someone you know is looking for help, you can always schedule a free 30-minute consultation with someone on our team at modernintimacy.com slash contact. I'll meet you right back here next week. Thank you for listening to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. Stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrary. Everyone has questions and I want to answer as many as I can. So feel free to email your questions to question at getnakedpodcast.com. If you're looking for a free 30-minute consultation with me or someone on my team, visit modernintimacy.com. And don't forget to join our newsletter, Modern Intimacy, on Substack. Let's meet back here next week. A new episode drops every Tuesday. Disclaimer, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy and does not constitute a professional relationship with Dr. Kate Balistrieri or Modern Intimacy. This podcast is strictly for education and entertainment purposes only. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.